You're listening to the Effective Statistician Podcast, a weekly podcast with Alexander Schacht and Benjamin Pieske, designed to help you reach your potential, lead great science and serve patients without becoming overwhelmed by work. Today, I'm talking with Anders about the best sources for real-world evidence that you may likely never heard about. So stay tuned. I first heard about these sources for real-world evidence a couple of years ago, and I tried to have an expert on this evidence for quite some time. So I'm really, really happy that I have now Anders to speak about Scandinavian data. And you may wonder why, you know, data from these Nordic countries is so, so special. Stay tuned for this episode because you will learn that this is really the best source. It's kind of a dream for us statisticians. I'm producing this podcast in association with ESI, a community dedicated to leading and promoting the use of statistics within the healthcare industry for the benefit of patients. By the way, there's also a real-world data special interest group. You may join that and join PSI to further develop your statistical capabilities with access to the video-on-demand content library, free registration to all PSI webinars, and much, much more. Head over to psiweb.org to learn more about PSI activities and become a PSI member today. Welcome to another episode of The Effective Statistician. Today, we are talking about one of my favorite topics again, real-world evidence. And I have an expert today here on a very interesting area of real-world evidence. Hi, Anders. How are you doing? Hi, Alexander. I'm very good. How are you? Very good. Um, before we dive into the topic of speaking about uh, real-world evidence from the Scandinavian countries, let's first talk about your career up to now. What has brought you to where you are now? And, and um, what about your companies that you have started? Yeah, thank you. So, yeah, I'm a biostatistician by training. And uh, then I did some research, research within epidemiology at the Karolinska Institute. And I started to work in the healthcare um, and academia for several years within this field. Uh, but then at, at some time point, I also started my own business and did some consultancies to, to the life science, uh, life science industry. And, and then I wanted to try how it is within the industry. So I joined Pfizer for about more than 10 years ago. And, mm. and since then, I've been working in the, in the pharmaceutical industry for 10 years. And, and from last year, I started my own uh, company, Epistat, that works within the life science industry with this research area. Awesome. So let's talk about these Nordic registries. When we talk about these, which, which countries actually does it involve? So I would say when you say if you include the whole Nordic countries, that's Iceland, Sweden, Denmark, Norway, and Finland. Mm -hmm. But I, for the purpose of this discussion, I think we should focus on Sweden, Denmark, and Norway, and Finland. Mm -hmm. Leave out Iceland because there are 
quite small country in this context. Yeah, it's quite small. When we think about all of these countries, it's it's about 25 million people, so which initially you would think like compared to Germany or compared to especially compared to the US is is not big. But if just the other day I talked to someone who was working on a real-world evidence project and they had worked on these countries and also on evidence from other real-world evidence sources for a specific area. And in their overall dossier, the by far largest proportion of evidence was coming from these Nordic countries. And that has to do with a couple of specific features uh, of the Nordic countries that that will go in today. So if you might think like, well, who, who cares about these, let's say, small countries? Yeah, Actually, from a data perspective, they are really, really big. So when, when we think about these Nordic countries, what makes them so special when it comes to the health system? Yes. So, yeah, across the Nordics, it's, it's, um, all countries have a, a public finance healthcare system. The tax is quite high in the, in the Nordics. However, the, the cost for, for patients within the healthcare system is therefore quite low. Mm-hmm. So it's very low. Yeah, it's very tax and government Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. The other thing is there is lots of these registries. And whereas very often registries are organized, let's say, by community of physicians or by associations, this is a little bit different in the Nordic countries, isn't it? Yes, I think that's one of the key success factors when... uh, when researchers are reaching out to the Nordics, because we have most of them are population based, which mm-hmm. means that the full it's nationwide uh, covered most of the registries. Mm-hmm. So yep. it's a very unselected group within the registries in comparison to other real world evidence uh, data sets. Yeah, that's a big, big strength that you have basically the whole population and not just this one insurance company or uh, things like that, that that makes it really, really strong. And also from a, you know, it's it's much more unified rather than, you know, uh, every part is, is, is different. Let's t- first dive a little bit into the population registers. So, so what kind of population registers are there that, that are kind of, you know, nationwide? Yeah, so there are, Several of them. We have, of course, the total population registry where we have vital status on on every resident uh, in the Nordics. We have the causal death registry where we have information on the causal death uh, and the date for that, of course. Mm -hmm. We have the patient registries uh, where we can collect hospitalizations, inpatients and outpatient information. You could also add a cost to that hospitalization, of course. Mm-hmm. We have the, the birth registries where we have um, information on the birth uh, of the baby, but also some information on the, the mother. Mm-hmm. Then we have, um, 
of course, the cancer registry and the prescription registry where you get information on all the prescriptions on the drugs across the Nordics. Wow, that is quite a lot. So that's pretty cool. Now, when we look into other areas, of course, we have these data sets as well. But what makes it really unique in the Nordic countries is that you can actually link these all together. How is that done? Exactly. So I think that's one of the first is population-based. The second thing is that each residence in the Nordics have their own social security number and each registry collects that information. So you're able to link at the individual level all these data sets into a research database. So you can actually look at the, identify some of the diseases in the, uh, the patient registry and then you can look at the, uh, the incidence of malignancies, for, for example. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. And how are these registries otherwise used? Is this, they are not only set up for, for research uh, questions, isn't it? No, no. So that's, of course, that's one, uh, one big, big bucket for them to, to, to research. But the, I think the idea was in, to, to follow, to understand the healthcare system, how it works, to increase the healthcare at a daily basis. Yeah. Yeah. So it's also in the interest of the overall systems that the data is of high quality. Yeah. Very much, very much. That's pretty outstanding. So, so basically you have a whole data set with pretty much all the, you know, disposition, demographics, all this kind of uh, information um, all together at the, at the start. And then you can on top of that these disease specific registries so how are how are these how are these done and what kind of disease specific registries are there so we have as we said we have the population registries and the, these are mandatory to report into then we have the disease specific registries which is not mandatory in in is mandatory in Denmark but not in the other. Mm-hmm. countries, but they include more detailed information on the diagnostic management and outcome for specific diseases. So we have, for example, in oncology, we have the, the um, uh, specific lung cancer registry or breast cancer registry, or prostate cancer registry, where you, where you can actually look at diagnostic intensity. You can look at uh, different mutations outcome, uh, treatment patterns, uh, and, and these uh, disease-specific registries can also be linked to the other mm-hmm. registries, of course. You can really have a good detailed research database where you can do some, actually some cool uh, statistics on. Yeah, that is pretty cool. And um, I've, I've also heard that, you know, there's some, some more kind of medical related data in there. So, so it's not only kind of the typical claims data, but also, as you mentioned, outcomes and, and things like that, even, even patient reported outcomes. Yes, some of the registries, that's really also uh, quite disease-specific, uh, but some of the registries uh, are collecting uh, patient reported outcomes and also not only at baseline, they are also following the, the patients over time, which is really important. Yeah. So, so basically you have 
lots of the data that you would need for very, very good observational study. You have all the disposition data, you have the exposure data, uh, you have the, you know, patient characteristics, and you also have uh, outcomes that, that you can relate it to. That's pretty exciting. As I mentioned, makes it really unique. I wish that would be more kind of <laughs> a model for, for other countries around the world, including also Germany. Um, now, if I want to do some research on that, yeah, and probably if you're a researcher and you have listened to that, you, you're already kind of getting uh, really nervous about, oh, I really want to answer my questions using this data. How does that work? Yeah, there are some, yeah, there are also overall governance, of course, when it comes to these um, individual data sets. So, of course, you need to have a, a synopsis, study synopsis, a, a protocol. You need an ethical approval before you can even apply for the data sets. Then you can reach out to the registry owners. Uh, sometimes it's several uh, owners uh, and uh, apply for the data. And then at the end, sometimes, uh, depending on who you are, you can actually get um, the get individual data, but sometimes you could also collaborate with a CRO or a research company that could do the analysis for you. And then you present it either as a scientific publication or uh, a report um, mm -hmm. in some way. So you mentioned the relationship factor. So I guess kind of just coming out of the blue and saying I'm mistakes and I work for a company Y isn't the best approach for moving forward. How does it work from kind of, yeah, building up the trust and being allowed to have access to the data? I think, I mean, if you have a good research question, you can come from your own company. But however, I think it's, as always, is good to, start a collaboration and maybe you could identify within the academic setting there are some interest in your research question then you collaborate with them on that question and maybe they can help you on the research mm. question and uh, also eventually the analysis i think okay. it's really good that you yeah, yeah. You, you should you need to collaborate in some way are there any kind of typical uh, academic institutions that, that you would go for? That's very dependent on the, yeah, within which disease field you are in. But I mean, the Karolinska Institute, they have really good knowledge within this, mm -hmm. really good evidence um, efforts, of course. But there are not, there are several others across the Nordics. Um, mm. Okay. Okay. So probably if you do some kind of literature research and you look for kind of who are the typical people that work on this, you'll, you'll find some, some contacts to, to follow up on. Yeah. Um, but of course, people could also come to you, isn't it? For, for help. Uh, yeah. That's the next thing you could do. I mean, you could also reach out to, yeah, to me, to Epistat that, uh, I want to conduct this research within the Nordics and we can set up the collaboration, the, the study protocol ethical application, and we can also retrieve the data as a research company and we can do the analysis for you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. So if you, 
if you think from a kind of overall timing perspective, I want to do these kind of things. Um, what what kind of is a turnaround time that I would need to plan for to before I yeah have everything in place and all the so the report back kind of from the first idea phase to you know up up to the report. Um, yeah, that's also a bit tricky. Sometimes it could take some time to get in the, the initial phase with the contracting that could take uh, some time depending on your internal process within the companies. Mm-hmm. But then uh, I think the time that's a little bit hard to calculate these days is the data extraction time, mm-hmm. especially now when we have had a pandemic. It's the, the time has been prolonged quite a lot, but usually I would say that this kind of research could go within a year. Okay, okay. Um, so planning for a year is, is good. Okay, yeah. so if you need that for your HTA submissions, things like this, you should, yeah, get going. Yeah, as, let, let's say before you submit to, to the email so that you have everything in time by, by launch. Yeah. 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 Okay, very good. So that is from a timing and project management and these kind of things. Let's go a little bit into some, some examples. What would be kind of cool case studies that you would could look into? So can you give me some, some examples that would be, you know, that you have maybe worked on or that you have seen? Yeah, as a... If you're at a pharmaceutical company, I think you can have uh, do studies across the full life cycle of a, of a drug because first you want to understand the disease area you are working with and you can do some, I mean, incidence and prevalence studies since it's population-based, it's quite nice mm-hmm. to get the true incidence or the, the prevalence of a disease. You can understand the, the comorbidities uh, uh, prior to the disease and also post-diagnosis. You can all, uh, understand the landscape of the current treatment patterns, for example. And you can look at the, the outcomes, um, um, such as overall survival uh, mm-hmm. yep. from a yep. natural course. I think that's in the, uh, the initial phase. Yeah. Yeah. Now, when I have a new drug on the market, how can can it help me there? Yes. Then you could also, I mean, you could also do, uh, first of all, try to understand uh, how does the the drug uh, uh, work on this market in the Nordics? Is it, uh, for all indications, is it prescribed off-label? And why is that, etc. So that's one important factor. And also look at the the, the effectiveness, of course, mm-hmm. in a real world setting. Uh, but then you and of course all... also compare it to other drugs, which is really really good. Uh, so, so... Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's also when you get. I mean, sometimes it could get quite crowded, <laughs> uh, and you and, and you maybe you need to do a, some com- some kind of comparative effectiveness. Mm-hmm. Uh, study and also look at safety signals because as we know all the the the, the clinical trials are quite short and, yeah. and we need long-term data on that so look at safety signals in the real world setting i think that's also one of the advantages here yeah 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 
Absolutely, absolutely. And so that that way you can kind of get a pretty easy setup, you know, um, post-authorization safety studies, things like that, or you can, you know, get lots of material for, for working with medical affairs. There's, there's a, yeah, an endless opportunity, so to say, uh, to work on these. Yes. And then, I mean, and then as you, you mentioned, the ACDA uh, submissions, you can always, I mean, work on uh, health economic models, populate them with these kind of data sources. You can add costs, socioeconomic uh, variables, et cetera, on, onto this. Yeah, and that is especially important. Yeah, if you want to, for example, look into whether your drug lowers the risk for hospitalization or these exactly. kind of things, yeah? yeah, which is really hard to observe in a clinical trial based on, you know, that it's not so long and that it's usually not so big. Um, it's, it's really hard. The other point is also kind of more, more harder endpoints. Yeah, you can look into whereas when in a clinical trial, you very often have more surrogate markers. That's, that's a great thing. If you think about it from a generalizability point of view, yeah, of course, this is it's Western world data, of course. Um, from your experience, how well would it be received in other parts of the world from, from a kind of how relevant is this in other parts of the world? So I think the, the reputation of the Nordics is quite high across the globe. However, I think the drawback is, of course, the, the, the population, especially when you're looking into rare diseases, is you will not get too many cases, of course. But I know this is well used in the, in, in the US and, and also across the, in Europe, of course. Yeah. 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 So... From that end, I think it's a really, really valuable contribution to your overall HDA and medical uh, medical affairs success. And um, as said before, it can even help you earlier um, when you, for example, want to um, understand what is the natural cause of the disease, or if you, you know, want to bolster up your uh, understanding in terms of safety these kind of things can make it make a big, big difference. So um, that was a really, really good uh, discussion about the Nordic countries and all the huge benefits it has. So, so just to kind of summarize it, it, it is a um, unique opportunity to link lots of different databases together uh, via this a personal identification number. That way you have lots of the disposition, baseline, all these kind of data together, and you can combine it with um, disease-specific uh, registries, which then help you to have also disease-specific endpoints and things like that. And that all in a time span of, let's say, about a year, depending on how fast your internal and external processes are. Well, I've recently seen sometimes the internal processes within the companies take longer than the external. It's a pretty, pretty cool opportunity. And if you want to work together, um, yeah, just reach out. I think it's a, it's a great thing. 
Thanks so much, Anders. Any any final uh, recommendation you would have for the listener on on this topic? No, but I I think I could just add to to you summary that summary that this also comes with a quite low cost. That's also quite important because you know setting up a phase four study for safety is yeah. yeah. What does it cost? This is one hundredth of that. So that's yeah. It's a very to a, you get can get really um, uh, detailed data to a very low cost. Yeah, yeah, completely agree. And also in terms of timing, you know, mm. one year is nothing oh. compared to setting up and running a phase four study. So um, completely agree. Okay, we'll put all these things into the show notes together with the link to Anders' homepage. And so you can easily reach him. Thanks so much, Anders. That was a great discussion. Thank you very much, Alexander. Thank you. This show was created in association with PSI. Thanks to Rain, who helps with the show in the background. And thank you for listening. Reach your potential, lead great science, and serve patients. Just be an effective statistician. Thank you.